Well, Kiora, Vainantia from Family Life, and welcome to another episode of the Family Life New Zealand podcast. Today, our message is on the master plan. And with me in studio, Nikki Bray. Hello. I am so excited for this one. Yes, uh, exciting episode today because, um, wh- why is that, Nikki? Well, we have a guest in the studio with us today, and he's someone that I've known for a long time who I hugely respect. And so I want to welcome Brad Carr. Hello, it's cool to be here. Thank you for coming in, Brad. And tell us a little bit about yourself, because I know you as a friend and as a a pastor for years. But yeah, we want to know a little bit about you, the man behind the name. Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my name's Brad. Uh, Rochelle and I have been married for 26 years, and I've been a pastor for pretty much that time as well. So Mm -hmm. for me, one of my great privileges is to be uh, Nikki and Andy's pastor Mm. for I think about 20 years. Yeah, long time. <laughs> so, yeah, it feels very special to be here. Mm. Mm. And and just for some context uh, for our listeners as well, Brad is also one of our speakers on our speaker team, and he usually uh, represents this session on uh, our weekends to remember. Uh, but we're just exploring the topic of uh, faith and specifically around uh, how we see marriage and the fact that uh, marriage was designed by God and I don't know about you, but if I want to know how to uh, use an instrument or do something, I usually go to the designer or the manual <laughs> and try Absolutely. to figure out how to do that. Mm. And that whole title of the master plan, I guess that's a good place to start, is like, oh, really? What is the master plan? Is there a master plan? And can we unpack that and explore it a bit more? Yeah, and I think that's important too because I think we're very much a DIY culture, do it myself, mm. buy something for the kids and don't bother reading the instructions. I'll just <laughs> put it together. But, you know, if you're getting a new trampoline that your kids are going to be playing on, you actually want to make sure you've put that thing mm. together properly or there's going to be repercussions and people are going to get hurt. Or you might yep. not get your warranty if something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or you may never put it together at all. Yeah, Yeah. but that's a good point you made, actually, because if you do make mistakes, and we all make mistakes, and I know that, we're not perfect, but if we don't follow certain basic instructions, then this thing is going to go pear-shaped pretty quickly. And so it's good to know, you know, what is that plan? I know as a a new believer, when I I first got married, I wanted to know, you know, what, what is the difference? How does faith play out in your marriage relationship and in your family? And so, yeah, it's going to be great to explore that today. Yeah. Brad, when you think about this idea of, you know, the master plan, uh, t- tell us a bit more about that. Well, for me, I've had the privilege of teaching on marriage, not just at the Weekend to Remember conferences, but as a pastor for mm. a couple of decades now. And the Bible has a lot to say about our relationships mm-hmm. and how we work with each other parents and friendships and in churches and communities, but it has a heap to say about marriage. But all that the Bible says about marriage comes back to one key verse in the very opening of the Bible. In the first book of the Bible called Genesis, um, there's a key verse there that says, for this reason, a, a man or woman leaves their father and mother and is united to their wife or husband and they become one flesh. And I think in that verse, which becomes the foundation of everything else in the Bible, there's these three key building blocks that every marriage is made up on. And Mm. you get those building blocks right Mm. and you actually build a fantastic marriage. Mm. You don't build them right. You get them wrong 
and that marriage is going to crumble mm-hmm. because they're so key. It's almost like a three three ingredient recipe, eh? It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we get those wrong, then we're in trouble. And yeah, for some of our listeners, if this is the first time you're listening to the the podcast, uh, today's show is exploring faith, Christianity, and how that affects relationships. So we realize that not everybody is there in their journey. Um, But I mean, I firmly believe that my faith has been probably the most important building block to uh, having a successful relationship. So wherever you're at, um, have a listen to today. And if this is not for you, then skip along and maybe we see you again next week. Having said that, though, too, I think if people do take the time to listen, even if they're not from a faith background, I think some of the building blocks we're talking about actually just make a lot of common sense when you stop and think about Mm. it. And so even if there's not a faith background being shared here, I think there's still a lot of sense in Mm. in what the Bible teaches. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And in fact, we can explore that straight away because if you go to that first one, Brand, so you talked in the Genesis about the leave, the cleave, become one flesh. Mm -hmm. So with with that in mind, just tell us a bit about the, the leave aspect. What, what, does that, what does that look like? What does that even mean? So in, in the ancient times when that was originally written, why do families all live together? And so the tendency was when a couple would get married, the wife would leave her family home because she's joining the home of her husband. Mm-hmm. And so she would leave completely her family and go and now she's part of his family. But he, in a sense, didn't physically leave He would be staying in the same house or same compound or whatever it was with his family. And so the verse is actually aimed more at the husband Uh because in the ancient times, the wife had already left, the husband hadn't. Uh And so it's a warning to that husband that even though he's still in the family home with his parents, he has to leave them Uh in terms of making this relationship with his wife, the priority. Uh, and that's the key, isn't it? That it is. word, yeah, yep. priority. Yep. So, I mean, even if you're not someone who, as you say, believe in, in Christianity or what that means, still that word of making one another a priority is, is going to be a key principle for making a marriage strong. Because if you're not a priority, it's not going to work, is it? Absolutely. And the, and the truth of the matter is through our lives, it's not just parents. That's, that's probably mm-hmm. the first thing that yep. needs to be left and so that marriage is a priority. But through the course of married life, there are multiple things, Mm -hmm. career, children, other opportunities that can come in and crowd that marriage relationship. Mm. And so there's almost this ongoing need for a couple to make each other the priority over all of these other really good things. Mm -hmm. And, And that takes it even further because you said an ongoing. So that tells me that that's a process. So it's not just that we might be told that in Genesis, but it's not just a one-time leave. It's an ongoing process Mm -hmm. because that's life, isn't it? There's lots of things that come in, as you say, and can steal that number one place of priority. Yeah. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, Brad, you're actually suggesting that there's a mind shift that needs to take place. I need to leave my old reality Mm -hmm. for the biggest part of my life, my family, my mom and dad, was probably the closest relationship I had for mm-hmm. many. Maybe that's mm-hmm. not everyone's reality. Mm-hmm. But when I get married, they actually maybe move out a circle of influence or circle of closeness in my life. And now I've got someone else in that mm-hmm. circle of closeness. What what happens, I guess, if, if I don't make that shift? Oh, well, <laughs> as a pastor, I've ended up with 
couples in my office or in our home talking to Rochelle and I, and you just see the tension going on because the spouse who is being pushed to the outer on the relationship because there's this other person or other mm-hmm. you know, parents or other thing, it kind of begins to pull the fabric of the marriage away because it feels like you're no longer number one in your spouse's life. Mm. And when you go back to the whole parents, actually, I know you, we mentioned other things, but if you go back to the parents, it isn't just um, for younger couples that struggle with that either. No. I mean, I noticed we had a couple who came to see us quite a few years ago and they were actually in their 40s, 50s. And when we talked to them about the issues that were going on, it came back to this very principle. He didn't feel like she'd actually left her parents in terms of priority or going to them for information about things or um, just making their opinion more valuable than what his was. And, and you just saw that even as an older couple, it was a pattern that they had used or she had used all the way through her life and it, it destroyed their marriage. So it's not just for young couples. Yeah, and I can imagine, I mean, there's this, there's the physical aspect of leaving. But let's take, for example, because I, I understand that in, in some cultures, families still live together. And, yeah. and I think there's a healthy thing as well sometimes in having multiple generations in the same house mm-hmm. and we learn from each other and we challenge each other to grow. But even within that context, there can often be a healthy picture of leaving. So mm. I guess, do you want to talk to us a bit about what does that look like? What does a healthy context of leaving mean? Because it probably doesn't necessarily mean I, I go to a different country and I forget about my parents <laughs> because that's no. that's not necessarily healthy. We, we mm. still want to maintain some type of relationship. Yeah, I think I think that word we used earlier of priority is probably one of the most helpful things here. It's imagine if a couple was living in the same physical home with one of their sets of parents or something because that was their culture or that worked economically. There can still be a sense of okay, so where's the priority here? Whose opinion is most important? Uh, am I living for the approval of mm. my parents? Um, which is what really that couple that Nikki was talking about earlier in their 40s, you know, she was still living for the approval of parents. And so you can actually be potentially living in the same home and yet the couple, the married couple, is ensuring that they are communicating with each other and they're making each other the priority over the rest of the family, even though they're part of a family. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And we actually lived like that. Uh, we were one of those couples that made this situation work. So Andy and I lived on the same property as Andy's parents. They had a, a house behind us and we were in the front. Now that only worked because we had some really good, clear boundaries. So we had conversations before we even got into that arrangement about what this was going to look like, how we would honour and respect one another's boundaries. And it was a beautiful relationship because we were clear, we we knew each other's expectations, we knew not to take one another for granted. I knew that I was Andy's priority and that his parents weren't. In fact, I probably spent more time with Andy's parents than Andy did. Um, but it worked well because, it, as I say, we were we were clear in that from the get-go and it was an ongoing conversation that we had to have. And, and it was a beautiful thing because our children then grew up with their grandparents next door and, you know, just the, the memories and having them as part of the fabric of our life was just an incredible thing for us to experience. 
And that says something amazing to me about Andy, because in that living situation that you guys had, the pressure is on Andy mm. in that, that sense to make sure that you're the priority mm. in yeah. the relationship, that you feel like Andy's always putting you first mm. before his parents mm. over the back fence. In a sense, you were free yeah. to go and visit them and enjoy yeah. that because they weren't your parents, mm. they were his, and he was the one who I think did a particularly good job. Mm, mm, and we actually, we had a little rule with one another about our parents that we lived by. And that was that neither one of us could say anything detrimental about the other person's parents. So I could turn around and say, oh, I'm so frustrated with my mum. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. Um, and he could say that about his parents, but we couldn't say it about each other's. It was a boundary. It was a respect. As you were sharing that story, Nikki, I was it Malcolm Gladwell that wrote about where they actually measured the longevity of people groups and they tried to determine what factor in their lifestyle made this people group live to 90, 100? So their physical longevity mm. was impacted not by the fact that they didn't smoke or didn't drink or that they ate healthy because actually a lot of those things they didn't do well across the board. Yes, sure, some of them did in this community. Mm. But what they found is the one thing that stood out was the fact that for many of them, they had three generations living in a home. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think when you do have that physical togetherness, but you need to work hard at that mental or emotional separation and boundaries, it just forces you to grow as a person and to be, I guess, very intentional about how you manage these relationships. Because sometimes you think you've left home but you're on the phone to your mom every mm. night mm. and you've got a closer mm. uh, emotional relationship to your mom than mm. you do to your husband or mm. to your wife. Yeah, for sure. And on that, Brad, can I just change tack a little bit and talk a bit around this, around the different cultures that we have in New Zealand? So for us, it, it wasn't a big deal, this whole leaving our parents and then cleaving to one another. But I know in some cultures it can be really, really tricky because, you know, especially I think of our um, Polynesian cultures, because mm -hmm. we've got to do it in the context of honour and they're very big in honouring mm. their parents. But I've also known many couples that struggle with what that looks like. What can you practically say to them in order to work through that? Oh, I think what you just said about honour is really important. Mm. Um, that's one of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, to honour your father and mother. And so that is a key part of really what a healthy life should look like. At the same time, what this key building block in God's view of marriage is saying is that you can still honour your parents while at the same time making your spouse the priority. And it's not either or, mm. um, unless you're forced to make the choice. Yeah. But that's not what we want. We actually want healthy relationships and loving relationships mm. while still making the priority. And that may be as simple as ensuring that you talk as a couple before agreeing to ideas that the wider family wants to do, mm. or making sure that you are figuring those things out together, mm. not just saying yes to different things for example, without talking that through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, you've explained it so well, Brad, and I feel like our listeners uh, are missing out on so much of the conversation because Brad is just pouring his heart out <laughs> in this conversation and his hands is going, I feel like we need a video in there. Very animated. You got, you're missing out. But um, just, just on that note, if um, some of our listeners want to see you speak, have you got a place online where people can connect with you? Uh, actually, I'm building a website at the moment, oh, uh, but that Fantastic. isn't quite there yet. Um, okay. But the main place to find me would be at Summit Church, which okay. is the church that 
Uh, we planted with Andy and Nikki and some other couples 16 mm-hmm. years ago. And I'm no longer the senior pastor there because I burned out last year, but I still speak there regularly. So summitchurch.nz. Okay, excellent. excellent. Do yourselves a favor and see Brad in person if, if you can. Um, burned out, but still burning, still on fire? <laughs> yes, no, still on fire, but uh, learned some valuable lessons okay. um, over the last year and okay. now moving in some different directions, okay. but still. So there was that first part of the recipe, the the leaving. Um, talk to us a bit about the, the, the other parts. Yeah, let me just, one final point I want to make on the leaving before we leave that. <laughs> is it's not just parents, but the two areas that I have come uh, into contact with a lot as a pastor dealing with couples who are struggling. One is making sure the marriage is a priority over career, and the other is making marriage the priority over children. I think our kids and our careers are the two things that can often come into the marriage and become more important at times than our spouse. So when you say making marriage a priority over children, that's that's almost... Uh, oh, no, that's, that's... That's a tough one. Almost heresy, <laughs> isn't it? It sounds like it, yeah. What do you mean when you say that? At the end of the day, I talk about the marriage vows, which actually we may come back to later in this podcast, but I have never made a vow to my children. I've never vowed my life to my three boys. Mm. I made some sacred vows to my wife. Wow. And I've given my life to her, to live mm-hmm. with her and honour her. And I love my boys mm. and I would lay my life down for my boys. But actually I'm in a marriage with Rochelle. Mm. And so she's the priority, even over wonderful kids. And what I find, especially, man, I remember back to the toddler years when those kids are small and they take so much time mm. and energy. It is very easy for all of our time and effort and creativity to go into our children and there's nothing left for our spouse. Mm -hmm. And there's seasons to that and it's just reality, but I think it's really important for couples to remember as they go through each season that the priority is their spouse. Yeah, and I mean, if you go back to the verse, your children are going to grow up and hopefully they're going to repeat that and they're going Mm. to leave and cleave. And Mm. so if they leave, who are you left with? Yeah. (laughs) Your spouse. So if you've not put any time and and made them a priority, you're not going to have much to fall back on, are we? Yeah. And I think too, Brad, as you were talking about how with our children, I think us wives can be, I know in my own relationship, it was probably me that was more likely to do that because Mm -hmm. I was predominantly the one that was more at home with the children Mm -hmm. and they demanded more of my time. And Andy's was probably predominantly more the career side of Mm -hmm. things. And so not, and it isn't that way for everybody I know, but I know from my own experience that children was the one that did it for me. And I constantly had to be assuring Andy that he was a priority and looking for practical ways that I could do that Um, because it wasn't so much of time that I gave him that made him feel a priority, but it was more my attitude towards him Mm. and it was working on on practically what that looked like. Yeah, and and I think uh, even in listening to you with a 16-month-old at home, it is this crazy season of Mm. life where you love your your child with all your heart and you'd probably do anything for them and they do require a lot and demand a lot. Yep. But I think the priority thing is when the demands on your time get so high, where are you going to spend that and how are you going to prioritize it and how are you going to make your your partner, your spouse feel like a priority? And mm. I think the the essence that I'm hearing from your example, Brad, is the fact that if you have a healthy relationship between the two of you, mm-hmm. then out of that will flow health into the family. 
Yeah. Whereas if you sacrifice or if you don't prioritize that relationship, you might be spending all your efforts on your children, but then you would start running empty and, and probably face something, you know, along the lines of burnout, emotional burnout mm. in, in that space. Absolutely. In fact, I think the, the greatest gift you can give your children is a healthy marriage. Mm. I think the biggest thing you can give to your children is to make sure that your marriage is healthy. Yeah, well, when you say that, I was recently pleasantly surprised by the, the stats and we all hear the bleak stats on relationships and, and marriage and, you know, half of all marriages ending up in divorce, which isn't accurate actually. Yeah. No. And so they did this exercise on saying if a husband came from an intact family and a wife came from an intact family, the success rate of those marriages were 91%. Wow. Now, we don't all have that privilege of coming from an intact family, but what if we can be the intact family for our kids? Mm. We're setting them up for just a successful marriage. They can still go and mess it up, but we want to lay that foundation, eh? Mm, we do. Absolutely. And, and to get practical on that too, um, if we want to make them a priority, I think... I want to be able to say to our listeners, how do we do that? And the simplest way to do that is to actually ask one another, do you feel a priority? And if they say no, then what needs to change in order for you to feel a priority? Because I think sometimes we can be looking at what we are giving to the relationship and think, I make you a priority. I do this, I do this, I'm, you know, and, and we're missing one another. And you might think that you're making your your spouse a priority. But if they don't feel a priority, then there's a disconnect. And so it's like, okay, so what do I need to do in order to make you feel the number one in my life? And sometimes that can be quite a big investment. Mm -hmm. So all, all the way through our married life, we tried to get away for one weekend uh, together, you know, a year without the kids. And that was lovely when they were toddlers. Um, but I think often you're saying that he's exactly right. It's small investments mm-hmm. of time and communication and it's those regular deposits mm. into that marriage relationship. That's actually what keeps it a priority. Yeah, for sure. That's really helpful. I'm going to take that one home, Nikki. You're going to ask El Ray, are you? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Family Life have been inspiring and equipping marriages and families in New Zealand since 1990. As a charity, we don't make money from our events. We rely on the generosity of people who believe in our cause. Maybe you've experienced a family life event. Maybe it even changed your life. Or maybe you're listening to these podcasts and wondering, how can I be involved in helping family life reach homes and families in our beautiful country? You can do that by becoming a friend of family life. Friends of family life are a group of people who partner with us by donating $30 a month or more to enable us to continue impacting homes across Aotearoa. Join us, because we believe when people develop effective relationship skills, their relationships flourish. Your help makes a difference. Check us out at familylife.nz donate. We'd love to hear from you. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being I feel completely connected to my partner and 0 being I feel totally disconnected from my partner, where would you rate yourself right now? There's probably room for growth, right? Why not take some time and actively choose to take your relationship to a 10 by learning how to love and relate to one another on a deeper level. Spend one weekend with us and discover the keys to building intimacy, strengthening communication, handling life's pressures, embracing differences, fighting fair and working through conflict constructively and so much more. 
You'll laugh a lot. You'll rekindle romance, learn new skills, and be better equipped to build a relationship that thrives. We can promise you it will be a weekend to remember. You may not reach a 10, but most couples leave on cloud nine. Join us on our next couples retreat. Register today at familylife.nz. familiar with mentoring. It's all about sharing knowledge, skills and personal experiences to guide another person towards reaching their full potential. It's about investing your time and talents to make a positive difference in the life of another. In a nutshell, it's discipleship at its best. Marriage mentoring is exactly the same, except you're doing it as a couple and you're doing it with a couple. At Family Life, we run an outstanding program to train you to be exceptional marriage mentors. We equip you in the art of asking skillful questions, which then help younger couples grow together and do marriage well. Become a marriage champion for others and register today for our online training at familylife.nz. And so, Brad, then we're leading into that next part of the, the equation or the recipe, I guess. Yeah, so the second building block in Genesis 2 is this idea of clinging to each other. So they leave father and mother and they, they are joined together. And the original language that the Old Testament of the Bible was written in, in Hebrew, it's actually a really strong word. It means to really cling to each other, almost superglue. I was going to say superglue. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's the best way to describe mm. it. Okay. And it's this, this sense of permanence or commitment, which you guys touched on last podcast mm. about just the importance of making a commitment to each other and, and then following through. That's, that's a key building block alongside priority is that sense of permanence and commitment. I've had so many times in, in our relationship, you know, just really honestly, where I thought, why, why do I bother? You know, why, <laughs> why, why do I want to make this work? And if it wasn't for that sense of commitment, I would have had heaps of excuses to walk away. Mm -hmm. But if I did, I would have never got to enjoy the wonderful marriage we enjoy today. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely, I guess, for me, that commitment to cleave mm -hmm. to, to this is this this is my person. Mm -hmm. I've made the choice, and now I. I'd much rather say, how can I make this work? Not, how is this going to work? <laughs> yep. And I can clearly remember when our relationship first started, I felt God impress on my heart. If you are going to enter into a relationship with Al Ray, you need to know that I expect of you to be a representation of my love to her. Mm. And if that's not the sole reason you're going into this relationship, you're wasting your time. <laughs> wow, gee, thanks. That's a, that's a big <laughs> ask. But, but I've, I've sort of kept that in the back of my mind. And it's so often pulled us through difficult times mm -hmm. where we just didn't connect. We just didn't see eye to eye because of our differences. And then I would step back. And when I felt like there was no way out of this, the difference is just insurmountable. And thanks, Nikki, for recently sharing on the what is it, 67% of um, ongoing conflicts or? Oh, 69. Yeah, 69%. Mm, perpetual yep. conflicts. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's quite up there. So 69% of our differences will probably never go away. And I've found that this cleaving attitude, this attitude of I've made a commitment, mm -hmm. this is the person I've chosen. When we get to those insurmountable conflicts, I take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute, how can I follow the example that Jesus gave us and be a representation of his love in this mm. relationship? And that's just always pulled us through. 
Mm-hmm. And this whole, the cleaving part, the commitment, the permanence, that was the thing that just sealed the deal for me. Because, I mean, the leaving wasn't hard for me. I'd been brought up in a non-Christian home. Uh, my parents divorced when I was young. I lived with guardians who also got divorced. Um, so it wasn't hard. I didn't have this strong family unit that I, I struggled to leave um, because I was quite independent from a very young age. But the cleaving, that was that was what my heart was longing for, you know, that commitment, that permanence, somewhere where I knew my heart was safe forever. And so when I married Andy, that just, I struggled with commitment in the first couple of years. Not that I couldn't do it. I, I definitely wanted to be committed, but it was more like, will you be there for me long-term? Will, will, is there something I can do here that will break that commitment? Mm. And so we struggled in those first couple of years, Andy, always saying, honey, I'm with you together forever, whatever. And it was, ne- I needed to hear those words again and again and that that actually broke down that insecurity that I probably brought into our marriage and also I think when I could truly feel that this commitment was forever then enabled me to grow as a person. I think you're right though I think we are all wanting a secure love to know Mm. that someone loves us and cares for us no matter what Mm. And I think that's what marriage is about. And that's what this idea of permanence and commitment is about. You you think about a wedding ceremony and nowadays I'm a celebrant. I marry lots of people and I actually love the creativity of writing your own wedding vows. I think that's cool. (laughs) But you think about the traditional vows and what people actually promise on their wedding day. I will love you for richer or poorer, Mm -hmm. in sickness and in health, for better or worse. It's a vow that... I will love you no matter what. Mm. And I think what what you were saying, Nikki, is I think all of us deep down long for that. Mm. We long to know that someone will say, I will love you no matter what. Mm. And that's really what the second building block is all about. It's that Mm. sense of... Yeah, I think when you then get into difficulty or or issues come up or you're struggling with things, what it did for Andy and I was, okay, right now we're making each other miserable, but we don't want to be miserable for the rest of our lives. Mm. We're going to be together for the rest of our lives, so we better work this out. Mm -hmm. And we wanted then to experience the best of what we could for each other and be Mm. the best that we could for each other. So therefore that commitment then pushed us towards experiencing an excellent marriage. We had to do the hard work because we were going to be together forever. You see what I mean? And and that's Mm. kind of a similar story to Rochelle and I. Um, Rochelle's health crashed six weeks after our wedding day. Mm. And so we'd been married six weeks and enjoyed married life and bliss for six whole weeks. And then her health fell apart. And for 19 years, she then struggled with a condition called fibromyalgia that was like chronic fatigue with pain. And what it actually did was it forced us together yeah. in that first year of marriage that is often really hard for many <laughs> couples. We almost felt like we got slammed together and we had to make it work yep. right from the beginning mm. because that's what that's what we'd said. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reality is, I mean, you didn't have to make it work because that's what a lot of people would say. Look, this isn't what I signed up for. Mm. But it sounds like because you made the commitment, you had to make it work. Well, and the reality was it ended up being, I mean, I remember in our pre-marriage counselling, we had some really helpful counselling, but one of the things we had to work on was what are your expectations? Yeah. Which I'd never thought of. (laughs) And then I'm suddenly realising, man, I've got heaps of expectations. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, six weeks into our marriage, most of those expectations were out the window. Yeah. You know, we were onto a single income, all kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And it did. It actually forced us to go, well, hold on. 
we're in this, mm. so we are going to find a way through this together because that's what we said. And that's so encouraging because I think we get sold this picture by Hollywood in Love at First Sight and the way he makes me feel or she makes me mm -hmm. feel. And then people think that if the love is right, it will sustain the commitment. Mm. And, you know, when the feelings go away, then... Or oh, maybe we've outgrown each other, but I think it's probably the other way around. Yeah. The commitment yep. will sustain the love, not the love, the commitment. And, and that's what I'm hearing from your story. Absolutely, because mm. the feelings will come and go. The yeah. feelings ebb and come back and there are some days you're incredibly close. There are other weeks where you don't feel like that, but the commitment is what carries you together mm. and brings you closer over time. Feelings aren't forever. Mm. Now, isn't that amazing? I might not feel like I love you right now <laughs> or I might not feel like I want to go the distance with you right now yep. but I don't need to act on my feelings. No. And it works the other way too like when you're angry with them feelings aren't forever so I'm not always going to be angry with you. <laughs> exactly. There is hope on the other side. Yeah and it's yeah. that commitment piece I think that pulls us through the difficult moments yep. when we feel like picking up and going mm -hmm. but we don't do because we know that we've committed. Yeah. And the, and the best marriages that I have been able to observe in my life are the marriages where there is just that commitment to each other, mm. bedrock. Yeah. We're together and we're going to make this fly. When you've cleaved together as one, yeah. you cannot, again, separate without it causing, well, drastic damage mm. to both of you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I was a child of, of divorce, um, went through it a few times and... I can say, yeah, I was one of those children that experienced that and definitely went through much heartache and struggles and insecurities. Now, there's always hope on the other end and God is a God of restoration, mm -hmm. but it was hard work and uh, and it, it actually go back to what you said before, Vane, and for me, it created that whole desire to then want to create that for my own children to give them a good foundation of a strong family and marriage that they could then experience and, and see modelled and hopefully take on to, to their own relationship. Yeah, and it's interesting you use the word God came and restore and, and God definitely does restore. But tracking back to, we're talking about the master plan here. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So the master plan is if we don't even make that an option, yeah. if we rather make it work than think, oh, we can separate and you know God will mm -hmm. heal. He will. Mm -hmm. He's a God of grace yep. and he will always get us where we are and sort of dust us off and help clean us up and, uh, you know, help us walk that journey of recovery. But what if we stuck to the plan, mm. the original plan and plan purpose, a. <laughs> plan A, and just find a way to build that flourishing relationship? I like the quote, I think it was um, Miles Monroe, but he might have been quoting someone else who said, if design is unknown, abuse is inevitable. Wow. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think in this context, if we don't realize the design of marriage is forever, mm -hmm. you know, together for good, uh, for good and bad, but it's forever. That's the design. If we break that design, abuse <laughs> is inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. We abuse our lives, the rest of it. We abuse the lives of our children. And this is not to say, you know, stick together and be miserable. <laughs> yeah. But the other option is make that your foundation. Yeah. We're going to stick together. Mm. And then what do we need to do to mm. make this work well? Which is a great comment because I think often couples who are struggling will sometimes think, well, either the option is to separate and, to, you know, that's enough or we'll have to stay together and be miserable mm. and horrible. Mm. And it's like, well, no, no there's, a, there's another plan here. There's yeah. an option C, which is actually mm. option A, mm. which is 
follow what God had yeah. in mind. So let's go. So we've had the leave and we've had the cleave. So we've had the priority and the permanence. And what about the one flesh? So the one flesh is really a beautiful picture of intimacy, of oneness, is, mm. is the way we often describe it at the Weekend to Remember conferences. One flesh is actually a description of the sexual relationship. So that's the P for passion, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the P okay. for passion. <laughs> but in a sense, the sexual relationship, the passion side is a glimpse of the whole unity and intimacy mm. of the relationship. Okay. Um, and that's true, I'm sure, when you guys... I'm presuming there's a podcast coming up on sexual oh, intimacy, which yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll listen our, into yeah, that. It'll be the top one you watch. <laughs> I can't wait for that. But the truth of the matter is that sexual intimacy is actually a picture of the health of our marriage. Mm. And when we're not feeling close and when things aren't, you know, it's just not the same in terms of intimacy together. Whereas when a couple has made the relationship the priority and they both feel loved and important and there's that sense of there's unconditional love when there's both the priority and the permanence then the passion actually comes in almost the cherry on the top now how does this play into i'm going to throw this one in there but how does this play into the engaging in the physical act of intimacy mm -hmm. of oneness mm -hmm. outside of the commitment of marriage well it plays exactly into it so, and I think it's worth going there. Yeah. Um, the the Bible is actually pretty strong that God has created the gift of sex for a husband and wife within a marriage relationship. And it's not to be enjoyed outside of that. And the reason is because as our creator, God is the inventor of sex. You know, it's not like God suddenly looked down one day and there's some human <laughs> beings doing something dodgy that he's suddenly shocked by. <laughs> he designed this, yep. but he designed it as something beautiful between a husband and a wife. And his design is that you actually only engage in sexual intimacy where there's now the priority and the permanence. Because honestly, there's a vulnerability to sex. There's mm -hmm. that sense of being naked and unashamed together that actually works best in a relationship where you feel totally and completely loved. Because yeah, how can you be naked and vulnerable with each other if there's not that foundation of mm -hmm. trust mm -hmm. and knowing that I can count on this person to be there because yeah. they've actually vowed their commitment? Yeah, and that invites vulnerability. Mm -hmm. that, that, that creates the environment for then intimacy to really take place. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, that's swimming against the tide in our culture today. But I think the problem for many couples is when they bring the passion stuff in earlier it actually messes it up in terms of even trying to get to know someone and assess whether this is a potential mm. person I want to commit yeah. my life to. Mm. Well, well, if design is unknown, abuse mm. exactly is right. inevitable, right? Yeah. So we, we actually abuse ourselves mm -hmm. emotionally, mm -hmm. physically by engaging in physical intimacy yeah. prior to that commitment. And it's not that God is anti-sex. God is more pro-sex than anyone he invented it, but this is his design, that this becomes the cherry on the top. And, and he cares marriage. so deeply for us. He wants Absolutely. to protect us. You mm. know, it's, it's part of protection of our, of our human heart. You know, when we go against the grain of what he wants us to do, there's ultimately going to be pain and suffering on, on our side. Mm -hmm. And, and then we've touched on the physical aspect, but I think you said then the two will become one flesh. Mm. As you were sharing about, you know, the past and the leaving and the identity and we spoke about my wants and her wants, mm. I think there's this thing of realizing that we used to have an identity mm -hmm. as a single person, mm -hmm. but when we get married, we actually lay down that identity and we take up a new identity as one, as mm. a new unit. How would you talk about that, Brad? 
I actually haven't heard it expressed quite in that terminology before, but I actually really love that. Oh, well, that's free. I won't charge you for that. Wow. Oh, thank you. I was reaching for my wallet. Um, in a sense, it's no longer me no. and I. Mm. You know, mm. as, as we engage in marriage, it is now we. we. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what Rochelle and I learned very early in our marriage with her fibromyalgia. This was not her. No. This was us. And we had to figure out how we would get through these challenges. Mm. That's not something I tell a lot of couples when they come with an issue, when they're saying, oh, he's got this or she's got that. It's actually, no, it's your issue together. Yeah. You yeah. own it together. Yeah. We a, have this yeah, problem. Totally. Mm. And that's the life journey, isn't it? Mm. That's the process of becoming one. We don't arrive. We have moments mm-hmm. of becoming one, but it's an ongoing process. Mm. And there's this opportunity in marriage where we say two is better than one. Mm. And actually in marriage, the two together, the term synergy means that when they're together, they're actually more than the sum of all the parts. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Put together, if you discover this new identity as a couple, there's actually something fresh and new there. So how many married people, I mean, I know quite a few that actually, they, they're very much living their own lives but they're living it together. Mm. Whereas uh, I feel like, you know, God has invited us into this space where Mm -hmm. you were walking alone, but now that you're together, figure out what this new together identity looks like, the two becoming one. Mm. Mm. That beautiful picture of Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that cord of three strands is not easily broken. Mm. And you've got the man and you've got the woman and they come together with God in the centre and we make one and one makes three. He's that third Mm. strand and keeps us strong, keeps us bound together and ultimately helps us experience marriage the way he intended. Yeah. Well, this has been, you know, fairly a heavy topic, I, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think we've covered lots of ground today, but mm. maybe some of our listeners out there today might feel, hey, I haven't actually practiced this blueprint, this uh, master plan in my marriage. You know, where do I start? Or, hey, uh, how do I learn more about this? Or, you know, how do I apply this? Um, Brad, what would you say to someone that, you know, feels, I guess, in somewhat, some ways challenged by what we've shared today, what what would your message be to them? My message, I think, would be that this is a challenge for all of us. I mean, this is the building blocks in one sense, and this is how a marriage should start off. But this is still the challenge in our marriage, 20-something years on, to make it a priority and to be permanently committed to each other and to, to be intimate together in every sphere of life. And so my encouragement would be to start today. And whatever area is lacking of, out of those building blocks, then make an effort today. And I would just say, adding on to that, Brad, that it's so worth it. The master plan is worth it. I have lived as a kitty for the first 21 years of my life without that, as, as not, not living the master plan, brought up in a family that did not know the creator. And then I became a Christian and I married Andy and I saw it was night and day, experiencing marriage and family the way God created it. There is nothing like it. doesn't mean to say it's not hard. We've gone through a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties, but boy, was it so worth it. So fulfilling, so meaningful and deeply, deeply worth it. Yeah. And the other part I would add to that too is that what I've found in my life and millions of people around the world have found is that ultimately the ultimate source for the search we have for a love that will never let us go 
is actually found in God. Mm. And the way that Rochelle loves me is amazing and I'm incredibly grateful. But actually the most important thing in my life is that I know that God loves me Mm. and will never let me go. Mm. That's amazing. I know that for me, if my... Uh, if I can call it God tank, is empty. Mm-hmm. If I'm not spending time with God in prayer and in studying scripture, then I know I'm I'm usually a lousy husband. Mm-hmm. So it's often out of the overflow of having that connection mm-hmm. well topped mm-hmm. up and taken care of that I'm in a position to express that love towards my spouse and mm-hmm. love sacrificially and Mm. enjoy that journey of oneness together well that's it from the family life team we hope you've enjoyed today's message on the master plan so brad thank you for joining us my pleasure it's been great okay and if you're keen to see brad at one of our weekend to remember conferences where he regularly shares on this master plan session check us out at www.familylife.nz nikki Take care till next time. You've been listening to the Family Life New Zealand podcast, where we believe that when people develop their relationship skills, their relationships flourish. If you found this conversation useful and want to help us reach more families, simply rate it, review it, and share it. We'll see you next time.